0: welcome to hit it the water skier magazine podcast powered by usa water ski and wake sports where we go on the water with some of the top athletes from three events show skiing barefooting and everything in between this episode is brought to you by visit central florida the water ski capital of the world i'm your host tyler boyd hello everyone and welcome to hit it in this first ever episode you are in for a very special treat i had the opportunity to sit down and interview a legend the rocket man scott ellis at the age of 50 the rocket man is calling it a career but scott says don't worry he's still going to be out there on the water it just might be at five and a half we have a chance to go down memory lane in this episode on how scott got involved into skiing how he was originally a three-event water skier that ultimately became a professional jumper. The year 1990 was a key year where Scott got four professional wins. And for the next three decades, you pretty much couldn't have professional jump without the Rocket Man. They just went together. Now, when you're trying to cover that much ground into one episode, we know we didn't do it justice. And at some point, we're going to have to have Scott back on the show but he's so much more than a professional athlete. He's also an ambassador an innovator of the sport and a loving father and husband. So much to Scott Ellis and I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Without further ado, here's my interview with the rocket man, Scott Ellis. Well, Scott, welcome to the first ever episode of Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast. Yeah, great. Good to be here. Well, Scott, I tell you what, I was super excited when I knew that you were going to be the first guest, but also intimidated that we are going to have to cover some serious ground here.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a
0: there's a long time to cover. Well, decades. with that being said, and we're going to definitely take things from your early years all the way to present. But I picked up the Winter Edition 2022 of the Water Skier magazine, and it has you Rocket Man form mid flight, and the headline reads, "Rocket Man in for the landing." jump legend Scott Ellis announces retirement that's
1: hard to believe I know it is hard to believe Uh, that has been such a long time but I just I don't feel like it's been that long Um, but it's it's time to to calm down on the six foot
0: well I tell you you know looking back and I turned 37 in March and I grew up late 80s early 90s as a kid that was taping the ESPN hot summer nights and I started to reflect on this and i go i don't know professional jump without scott ellis like <laughs> you have been a part of professional jump for three decades and going into 2022 is going to be the first time that i have known jump without scott Ellis.
1: i know it's kind of it's kind of weird uh i'm gonna have to sit on the sideline and uh i'm still gonna be pacing I, I'm, I'm sure i'm gonna feel like i'm out there and i'm still coaching some of the guys that are going to be out there. So a piece of me is going to kind of be out there, but physically I'll be on the shore pacing. Well, let's get
0: to the early years because there's so much ground to cover, so many interesting things, but you grew up a central Florida kid. You've been around skiing your entire life. Originally, you know, when you were in the three event scene, take us back to when you're seven, eight years old, getting
1: introduced in the sport of water skiing. Yeah, it was through... The, my family skiing on the weekend with all my uncles, cousins, we had a, a huge Ellis village that went to the lake. And I, my first recollect was, it was on Lake Parker. Across the street was a Taco Bell and they had 49 cent taco Sunday. So that was the day we all went to the lake. So and, 49
0: cent tacos. I, I don't know what a taco
1: is today, but it's
0: certainly more than a couple
1: dollars, I would think. Yeah, it's not 49 cents. That's for sure. And that's how we started. We were skiing, we were tubing, we were barefooting, we were kind of doing everything. Um, just one weekend we switched lakes. We went to a lake called Lake Hollingsworth where Florida Southern is and the Lakeland ski show, and that's where they were. So we took off skiing and we cut in front of a slalom skier and we didn't know what a slalom course or anything was. Well, of course, now that I know as a slalom skier, someone cuts in front of you and sends rollers down the course, it kind of pisses you off. So that skier came and talked to us, Say, Hey, you know, I'm about to slalom. This is a slalom course. And we're like, Oh, okay. Okay. Well, it happened to be a guy named Richard Johnston who started the Mulberry ski paradise. Um, so he explained to us what the slalom course was and stuff and then said, Hey, we're going to have a ski show on Sundays guys come watch. So we came and watched, we loved it. At the end of the show, they said, Hey, is anybody interested Come, down, come over here, talk to us. You guys can come join and see if you want to do it. So the whole family, uh, at this time, my sister, I think, was two. So once we started skiing, she did the Opening Kids Act and did a show ski circle at the age of three. And that's how we got introduced into skiing. Um, and wow, that particularly- so you really started,
0: you know, just getting year. on a lake, seeing what was going on, and then show skiing that eventually goes into three events.
1: Yeah. So I learned to slalom, trick, and jump in the show. I did the slalom. my dad and wow. I did the father-son slalom act, uh, did the kids jump act. So we're going over jumps, doing helicopters, crisscrossing underneath. Um, I did the trick act. Um, there are two other skiers that are I think a year or two older than me that are now in the Barefoot Hall of Fame. It's Rick and Lori Powell. So they were three event skiers. And I started taking off and I enjoyed barefoot. So I was doing the beach bear like you know, you have the, the guy who thinks he's going to do the barefoot, and he goes, hey, 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 kid, hold my handle while I adjust something, and then the boat takes off. So that's me doing a beach start. And so I was just, you know, at a young age, learned how to just ski in horrible conditions that we would never ski in now, and uh, learn to enjoy it and do dangerous stuff, but still have fun at it. And so when do you start
0: to gravitate towards three events skiing out of the ski show?
1: Yeah, so that ski show, the Lakeland Ski Club, puts on two tournaments a year. Uh, and I think it's the longest-running tournaments of anywhere uh, for a club. It's called the Lakeland Open, and then they had the Lakeland three-round trick. So I went to the Lakeland Open. Um, I, did a sl- I didn't trick or jump in a tournament. I just slonged. Um Back then, they had novice, expert, and masters. So I didn't have to ski against the really, really good kids. I skied against the kids kind of my level. I went out I got third place and got a trophy and I was hooked. I went to the next tournament, got another trophy. And then I saw other kids doing trick and jump and they're getting trophies for those. I'm like, well, I'm gonna do all three events because I can get three trophies. And then I was hooked and I kind of, I stayed in show skiing for a while. I went to one show ski nationals at the Skyper's gardens. Um, I skied at the garden ski show for a field trip when I was in sixth grade. Uh, we did a field trip there, so they let me ski in the show. But then I started to move towards three events, skiing, really because of the trophies. I wanted to fill my room up every summer.
0: So there was kind of a competitive edge right from the beginning. The trophies yeah. were there. You wanted to go compete, and yeah. that's what drove it to three
1: events. Yeah, it's not like I wanted I, – at the time, I didn't want to beat anyone. I just wanted a trophy. Whether it was first, second, and third, as long as I got a trophy, that, I was happy. I got in the van and went home and got ready for the next tournament.
0: That is really cool. I did not have any idea about that background of a show ski background, but it makes a lot of sense that, you know, watching you over the years, being able to ski in adverse conditions all over the world. I'm sure that
1: training came in handy many of time. Absolutely. I mean, I had a good baseline of skiing and terrible stuff and it never really bothered me. Um, I knew that, oh, I don't need to go out there and do my best performance, but I can put a good performance in in some crap weather and it never never bothered me and it, it helped.
0: Well, good. Yeah, I mean, you, you take a look at that, too. You know, you're going through the ski show. You're getting introduced to three-event water skiing. Skiing is really on the upswing at that particular time. Who are the top skiers you're looking up to when you're, a, when you are you know, I guess 10, 11, 12 years old?
1: Yeah, so the trick tournaments, obviously, it was Corey, Corey Picos and Tori Baggiano. Those were the guys that were they kind of similar in style, breaking world records um as far as jump it was sammy i mean sammy was the king he charismatic uh just fun i chased him around i got so many autographs of sammy and so many young pitchers, like it's ridiculous and then slalom of course you had the little point brothers lucky low and and uh even carl Bears, those guys were at the top two. so those were all my idols uh back then they went to the nationals they went to local tournaments i saw them at lake david where the benzels had the superstars They'd always come to that and they always made an appearance at certain tournaments so i was able to sit and watch them and, and just i was in awe of it loved us
0: so are you at this particular time skiing with your parents or are you starting to get coaching for anybody else maybe going to a ski school how's that yeah I, was, I, went d's. I went to d
1: i went to d ski school frankie d's ski school um who everybody went there camille doll used to work there um, at one time or another That was like the main hub in Florida where people went through. Um, after that, it went to McCormick's and I went, once I started jumping five and a half, so when I was 18 ish, I went to gym and stayed with Jim all the way until my six foot career started. Well, and that's a
0: great place to pick up right there. Scott, because because he taught you how to
1: win. Win. Okay.
0: Well, and that's yeah. a great place to pick up there because 1998 Junior World Championships in Australia. Yeah, 88. Was that 88? Was that 88, 88 yeah. sorry. 1988 Junior Worlds Australia. Was that on the
1: river? Yeah, it was on the Yarra River. Instead of having Junior Moon, we had wow. the Junior Worlds. So we skied right there in the current, bit all the crowds, and it was, it was incredible so what i find interesting about
0: that too and i'm i'm looking at a sheet of where you came in in that tournament you win overall you win gold and slalom silver and jump bronze and trick very well rounded i mean back in the day a lot of people were putting a lot of on the knops totals were heavy on the trick but to go win the overall with a golden slalom and a silver and jump that's pretty impressive
1: yeah, it was kind of a shock. I, I skied good, but never really won anything. I never won nationals or regionals. I've been good at States. Um, the Southern region always has a lot of really good competitors at, at any age. So I never really won anything. I got put on the team, went to Australia kind of as a no name. Um, but I just skied really consistent. And once again, that show skiing, rough water background, I think paid off because the river's hard and people, you know we we're falling left and right and i cruised right through Song. and jump was kind of a same thing it's just the crowd kind of gets me excited it didn't scare me or make me nervous it has the opposite effect i think because you shows so just, at that world Ball.
0: championships who's who's your main competition going into that yeah jd
1: jd Wiswell. i mean he was nobody i don't think he ever lost a tournament from the time he started to the time he quit I mean, he was a jumping phenomenon, great slalom skier, great tricker. I mean, he was by far the favorite going into that. And, he, and he's the one that won jump.
0: Well, it was interesting. Before we had the, this first episode, we had the chance to talk before we jumped on. And one of the things that I remember is I think it was the 89 Nationals in Okaheely where you're, you're still in boys at that point. Uh, you're skiing in the rain. Um, I think you go out with a massive body slide or something. Uh, Kenya Tour wins the, 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 the gold in that boys' slalom yeah. event. But I think about that particular time of where you were in your skiing, working your way up the ranks, because right around the corner, you make this huge turn to really come in as the new kid on the block in the professional jump scene. Yeah. So what happens from junior world overall champion in practice, is things starting to say, well, maybe I should spend some more time jumping? What, what made the transition to go to the ramp?
1: I think it was just going to Jim McCormick, and, and the transition was so easy and seamless. From five and a half, I spent a year at five and a half. Some of the junior guys went straight to six foot, and they got a lot of injuries. So I spent a year at five and a half just going. It seemed like every tournament I went further and broke the men's one record. and went further and further and further. Then when I went to six foot, it really wasn't that much of a change. So I just I just kept going further and further and further. And then all of a sudden I I caught my idols. I caught up to Sammy and I caught up to Carl and Bruce Neville and and it just kinda just kinda happened. It was just Jim McCormick made the transition just so easy. Well, and that's that's one of the things
0: watching you jump over the years. I mean, even going back to those 1990 tapes and taking a look at it you've always had such a smooth transition from the turn off the second wake into the ramp I mean yeah. there's there's been no one that I you know can think of that has made it look so effortless I know you're working like mad to not move at all into the base of the ramp yeah. but through your entire career it
1: has been such a smooth cut does that go all the way back to Jim McCormick it goes all the way back to that he, he lets you think it, it's weird you got to You can't think of anything, but you got to think of everything. You can't pinpoint one thing. And when you don't do that and you you just trust your training and let it happen, everything is kind of seamless. And you end up getting really big, consistent jumps. And when that happens, your confidence goes up. And then the big jumps turn into bigger jumps. So it's just. So, So it's
0: 1990. You come out with four wins that season. And you're against your idols, Sammy Duvall, Bruce Neville. I mean, even guys like Andre Alessi in the mix, the Llewellyn brothers, uh, Carl yeah. Roberge. Are they kind of looking at you going like, who is this kid and where did he come from?
1: Yeah, this little skinny, like would never even heard of him before come in and, and I think they were shocked. I, I was shocked. Um, I went into every tournament thinking, I just want to make the cut. That's all I want to do is make the cut. And I would make the cut, and I would be seated, you know, first, second, or third into the finals. I'm like, holy crap! And I was jump banging out consistent 190, 195, 198, no matter where the site, the conditions, and it was just. And then by 93, 94, everything was in the 200s. So it well, just, and, that,
0: it, and there's one tournament back then. I it I think it's 93 Shreveport green speed suit you might have went 204 or 205 and you end up winning that one but you yeah. had mentioned you know sammy kind of had the charisma the whole time it was like we got a younger version of the sammy then yeah. because you're out <laughs> there with the oakley sunglasses 110 percent confidence and just yeah.
1: like yeah i'm here for the win and we'll see you next week what yeah, was that win like it was incredible it was one jump carl went out right before me i think he went 202 which was his pb and he's coming in just on fire. And I was, I remember I just was super calm. I had zero doubt I wasn't going to win. Had no no doubt. Went out there, first jump, boom, 204 and came in. Just one and done. Thank you and off. Like, I just, it never crossed my mind that I need to go try hard and win. It just, it was there for me to go out and pick it. I went out there, I picked it and came in. <laughs> An unbelievable win. And. What, what
0: was it about? It seems like when we go back and we look at those Pro Tour stops, Shreveport seemed to be just where jumpers would love. I mean, world records were broken there, huge jumps. What was it about that site that made it so special?
1: It's like one of those jump sites where the water's shallow, so it's fast. Uh, the shorelines are either full of weeds or tapers where there's zero rollers. Uh, and the wind conditions are always a little bit of a headwind or dead calm. So everything for jumping is perfect and then all it takes is one guy to set the pace and when they set it everybody elevates up and elevates and just keeps and it seems like as you go down the line everyone goes a little further a little further a little further and then sometimes you're tiptoeing on the world record and it's right there like we didn't even realize it so 93 94 you're walking away with
0: professional wins. But I still think we're, we're jumping on relatively short jumpers at that point. I mean, 70-something yeah. inch probably. Yeah, I think
1: I had 73s. I think Carl was the first one that was like 74 and a half. And we And we're like, oh, my God, they're so big. Like, But Carl needs them because he's a big guy and stuff. Uh, I don't know if you remember Mike Shaylander. He would stand on the podium with his jumper and it looked like he was holding a Slomsky. Like it was under his chin. He's kind of leaning on it. And they're super narrow. It's like jumping with a pencil. <laughs> like they were they were tiny, but back then we didn't even, we didn't know any better.
0: Well, that you know it's interesting. I was thinking about Shaylander in the late '80s. Like he's slaloming and he's making these podiums. Like he's slam dunking on a slalom ski and then he's towering over everybody on a podium on the jump. It was it was a very
1: interesting time. Yeah, it was it was a it was a fun it was a great time because there's a lot of really good young jumpers. There's a bunch of them and everyone, and we're all, like, within feet of each other, it wasn't like somebody was 20 feet ahead, I mean, it was first place, and second place was a foot, third place was another foot, 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 all the way down, so tight. Well, you take a look at that time,
0: too, so you, you mentioned Carl, okay, and I think Carl's the one that starts to usher in the these bigger skis, you know, maybe he's a He's bigger jumper. Of course, he was the bear row bears. So we'll give it to him. But then the physics of the skis start to play out. How does this begin to change your style and mentality? And when do you make the switch to the bigger skis?
1: Yeah, the big, it's, it's weird because I've changed, like physically changed my style of jumping probably five times in my career with all the changes. Big skis. See, I got my first injuries 95. I think they came out Bruce broke the record at Jack's he was on I think 80 inch skis and broke Sammy's 220 220 record went like 222 on 80s and those were huge and once he did that everybody was like I want bigger skis I want that so it was 80 and then they went to like 84s um I think I won my second Moomba I went 218 on 84 inch jumpers which were massive Wow! Wow! And so we just kept going bigger and bigger and bigger until we get up to 1992. So it all changed in 96.
0: 96. So the the skis make their way into 96, and then this is where you know one of the people that you had looked up to for a long period of time, which was Bruce Neville, uh, yeah. late 80s, early 90s. Um, you start throwing around this idea of like ski flying. Right? Yeah. When does ski flying really start to take off? Because Now, not only are you saying, well, maybe we could go longer with the skis, but what about the rope? What about the boat, the pylon, all that?
1: We're sitting on just drinking some beer and just kind of like we can go further. These bigger skis are like we're onto something. Like, what can we change? Like, what's holding us back? Well, obviously, the boats, maybe we can go take the boat faster. So we went out on a 75-foot rope and took the boat faster. And we're like, Jesus, this feels scary. Like, I'm getting the pendulum is too quick. So we lengthened the rope. And so we lengthened in the ropes, like now we're going so fast and have all this pull, this steep ramp is just destroying us. So we flattened the ramp and made it longer. And just, we made some little, little tweaks of little stuff. And we just wanted to tie or break the world record. So we, I think the world record was like 226 at the time. And so we put a 226 ball out of Bruce's. And once we kind of fine tuned everything, we went like 240 and we're like, holy crap. Like, so we got a hold an antique. Larry Maddock came out and then we're like, dude, check this out. So we put him in the boat and he's like, Jesus, we're going to make you a bigger boat. We're going to call ESPN. And that kind of got the ball rolling. Wow.
0: Wow. So, so all I remember, you know, so I'm a kid still growing up during this time. And I remember going to the nationals and you guys were doing some exhibitions, I think in bakersfield and then i remember seeing it early at the masters uh early 2000s i think 2003 and i remember specifically being at the masters and being in the pavilion and listening to that boat go by and i'm like who in their right mind would want to put on a pair of skis and
1: hit that ramp it's funny you mention that because whenever whenever somebody would one of the pro skiers would try ski flying for the first time we would not let them ride in the boat because when you heard the engine screaming, they wouldn't do it. So we're like, listen, just go do some singles first, and you can sit in the boat, and you can watch me and Bruce and whatever. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But that boat was screaming, especially on the pavilion, that concrete pavilion. It just echoes and reverberates all through there, so it's scary. It's fun, but it's scary. Yeah,
0: no, no, it was, it was scary to watch, but it was exciting to watch, no, no doubt about it. Well, walk us through that a little bit, because you talked about the innovation that took place. And then just recently, we had a rule change where it lengthened the ramp. You know, a lot of people, I think, look at ski flying, go, wow, that looks super, super dangerous. But actually, some of the innovation that came out of that later on made the sport safer.
1: Yeah, so it's trickled into traditional jumping. Uh, We can now have our own ski ropes. Um, Now in the boat, instead of having three people, we can have two people. Uh, we've lengthened the the jump ramp almost a foot longer than like the 90s, the 1980s and 90s traditional six foot jump. We've we've added like a foot, so we went from Sammy's record of 220 to Ryan Don at 254. We only added a foot, so I mean there's a lot of ski fly stuff that tricked into traditional jumping that's that's really really helped, uh, made us go further and like you said safer easier.
0: Well, it, uh, no doubt about it. And you take a look at that time too. And I think it, it, iconically, skifly.com materialized to the yeah. point that I had, I literally had a competitor in Boys Three. The day he turned 18 years old, he got the skifly.com logo tattooed on his back. <laughs> and so yeah. he, he's out there thing. running around with you on his back somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> But 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 Scott on on the ski fly, um, when when you look back at the injuries and and you know you've you've had your fair share. Like you said, yeah. you've even had to change your style a couple of times to adapt not only to the changing equipment but the injuries. I mean, you're talking about a dislocated knee. You've dislocated your hips a couple of times. Were those injuries from six foot jump ski fly a mix? Tell us about uh, those.
1: Of the five major ones only one was ski fly. Interesting. everything else has been traditional traditional jump
0: interesting when yeah. you when you look back on it even though like you know you're sitting in the pavilion and you're shaking going i can't believe someone's going over the ramp yeah. was there I, I would assume the the falls probably felt a lot more violent ski flying but it didn't seem like the injuries stacked up yeah. any differently
1: no, there there was less crashes. Um, I think I was the only one that got hurt really bad. I know Jared went to the – we were practicing for a ski fly tournament in Arizona, and he hit some bad rollers. and He crashed. He went to the hospital, but it was, it was okay. I just got – it just beat you up. But they end up the, – I think the boats were getting so powerful, the manufacturers were like, okay, we can't – we don't want to sell these to the public because this big engine and this little boat is just <laughs> – it's not working. And we started out jumping a lot of lakes. Uh, yeah. A lot of the private lakes we were, we were jumping in. Because at first we just wanted to go 240, 250. But then, of course, you, you put jumpers there. And you're like, well, I'm going to try and go a little wider. Well, I'm going to go a little bit later. And it just started increasing. And I think Freddie's went 315 or something. So it's, it's a long ways to fly in the air from goalpost to goalpost in a football field. No.
0: But, yeah no doubt about it um so you're going through ski fly it makes its run it was really interesting um i want to take it outside of the water you've been able to do some things or are still dealing with jump but outside as far as i mean you have been featured on abercrombie and fitch tv i don't know who else in the sport could have done that you've been on stunt junkies on the discovery channel don't know who could have done that. And that's a really cool story. Yeah. Um, I believe you were out there and you broke Hank Longo's record. Was it 18 boats?
1: Yeah, it was 18 boats. I called him up. I'm like, hey, I got some good news and bad news. Uh good news is we're gonna be on TV, stunt junkies on cable. It's a really cool show. The bad news is I'm gonna break your record <laughs> while we're doing it. So <laughs> so he laughed and he came out, came out and helped. And but that was that was a cool show. That was a fun. Yeah, 18 boats flew over. It was supposed to be 19, or it was supposed to be 20 we end up having to use two boats for photo boats so we
0: settled okay. on 18 okay no 18 is is plenty i think that yeah. that's a lot of boats yeah and then and then during all this time you know you're innovating the sport but you're also doing a lot of coaching i mean i remember having my own dvd of the flight school and and listening to you talk about jump and that was like a really exciting thing for me But tell us a little bit about that, because there's always been a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit, right? Like you've wanted to push the sport. You had flight school,
1: uh, skifly.com. Talk to us a little bit about that. It kind of goes back from when Bruce and I were sitting around thinking, what can we do to make it to go further but safer? And I'm always doing it. I'm on the rules committee. I'm always tinkering. I'm always experimenting. I'm standing on my skis. I'm trying different jump fins, different ropes. Like I'm always tinkering. And it's just because I like it, you know, I I, want to experiment. And sometimes some of the tournaments probably suffered my placement because I would just try stuff at tournaments because it might be good at my lake, but in competition, it might be different. So I'm, I'm always tinkering that we we change the angle of the ramp to where with the skier approaches, you can see more surface area versus not seeing so much surface area, which changes the way you think and your everything. So it's, I mean, I still do, I'm still out there tinkering. I'm always trying something.
0: Well, and, and, and if we pick it up again, where we're in the mid 2000s with Scott Ellis, you've been on the professional scene, literally a decade and a half. And back then, you know, you look up to your idols, uh, whether, you know, Sammy Duvall, Bruce Neville, jumpers at that time are really not even lasting that long, uh, didn't seem in their professional career. I, I pulled up on YouTube, it's a great uh, archive video, you're you have a uh, an interview with Desbert Kennedy and it's 2011 you're at Moomba yeah. and you're basically saying hey when I'm done here I'm still gonna jump I'm you know I'm a, I'll go five and a half I don't care I just I, love it. Can. Yeah. I mean you were having those conversations though in 2011 yeah. here we are 2022 I, I mean what are you feeling like at that point of your career are you just kind of taking it year by year to see how long
1: you can go yeah I, I mean I still would like to jump Six foot because I just it's it's fun. It's you know, I went 220 last year at the at our nationals. Um, I made the finals at the worlds. Um, I'm still jumping good. It's just with my age and the wrist part, my wife finally convinced me, like, hey, come on, it's when you, you're you trying to go 230, 240 and you take a stack, you're crap, you're not 25 year old, Scott, crashing, you know, you're 50 year old. So, I get it. I go, but I'm still going to jump five and a half. <laughs> so I can still go <laughs> well, to Nationals. And I can, I can still technically ski against Freddie and Taylor at our Nationals in open men, but five and a half.
0: Yeah, well, and wouldn't that be something if you put one together at five and a half? Because we've seen that yeah. happen in competition before yeah. where but you, you, uh, you jump the know. six-footer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's fast forward to, to this past year. When you take a look at the past year of what you were able to do, you had an incredible season. And and really good. I made a bunch of finals, and I was happy. I jumped far, really far. I mean, and consistently, you were always in the mix. What was it like? I mean, you grew up Central Florida. Obviously, you've jumped a million times at Jack Travers. The worlds are coming to Jack Travers, right?
1: You definitely want to be a part of it. What was what was that like? Gearing up for that? It was exciting because I, my wife and I, we talked about that's the place we wanted that place wanted to be my last six foot tournament. That's the first place I ever went 200 feet. Uh, that's the first place where I qualified for masters. Um, I've jumped there since I was a baby and it was an antique tournament. So it was kind of all these things rolled into one. It was a good place to kind of make, hopefully make the finals. And then I can hang up my helmet there and say goodbye. So it was leading up to the tournament. I was a, a tiny bit cautious. I was like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to go out crashing. Uh, but I also got to go hard and I don't want to you know jump 192 and get whooped so there's a fine line of going hard but not too hard.
0: Talk to us a little bit about understanding your mentality going into that tournament and that being probably the final six foot tournament and you you kind of knew that going in what was the emotion like when you came off the water and you kind of knew that I put it out there and it was a good one but I'm walking away.
1: It was good it was for one, I, I I did everything I wanted to do. I jumped far and I made the finals. But then that same emotion, is I'm sad because I can't be on the dock with those guys anymore. Um, you know, my jumpsuit, the, the traveling with everybody. I think I'm gonna miss the most. Um, it's fun getting ready for Moomba, packing up that ski bag and towing it everywhere, and that social part of it and in, in the, in the butterflies and stuff. That I'll miss that. But then you take the crash element and the disappointment of missing finals and stuff i won't miss that that fresh uh, when when you train so hard and you missed it barely missed a cut or something like that it's disappointment that you have for two or three hours is horrible like you see any athlete it's, it's like you almost want to give up like how could i not do what i've been trying to do for two months at that moment so that part i won't miss
0: yeah no yeah that that uh that is not the fun side of competing, for sure. Well, you mentioned your it's wife, Marion. Such a yeah, roller
1: no, coaster. Yeah, no, yeah. like.
0: Well, yeah, and, and and sometimes it's good motivation, and then sometimes it's just hard to pick yourself back up off the mat, you know. Oh my gosh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned your wife, Marion, Marion Matthew, also a professional athlete, professional jumper. Yeah. Um A lot of yeah, there she is in the background. Um. A lot of conversations obviously i i I mean the the coaching that goes on is uh one of those unique ones within the sport where you can be on the on the shore when marion's out there skiing and watching her jump set seeing how things are going talk to us a little bit about um your relationship because it's almost kind of like yes you are married but at sometimes you are the
1: coach yeah i think we're both really good on putting on the coach hat and taking off the the husband or wife hat. Um and she's she's very black and white. I mean she, if I try to, you know, go the easy route or get down on myself, she'll nip it in the bud like right away. Which which as an athlete, that's good. You don't want to trickle down the path of, you know, self destruction too far because it's hard to come back. So she's been really good at that. She stops it uh when I jump really good, I'm like I wanna go in. She's like, hey, hey, hey let's do one more. Let's try to, you know, we need to make a habit out of this, not just pop one off and get lucky. So she's, she's been awesome at that. And she's a great competitor too. Like, I mean, when she trains, she trains, she takes off the mom hat, the wife hat, and she goes at it. So it's good. She's an incredible partner.
0: And I tell you, you know, the years that I've gotten to announce the masters and, and, and seeing both of you guys compete, that's a very special thing. Just from a fan perspective of just watching that, because that is something so incredible and so special um, and certainly for our sport is, is a unique part of our sport. Um, not only are you doing all that, but you're a dad, I mean, three kids, you got Brett, Louisa and Maxwell. How are yeah. you balancing this for as long as you have? And I mean, they're coming to age. I mean, uh, Brett is 12, Louisa's five. Um, I see her, she's about the same age as, as my kids. So I see her on social media, getting yeah. out there on the water and, uh, Maxwell, are they,
1: are they skiing? Um, are you coaching? How, how is that going? It's going good. That's a little piece of the pie of me retiring too, because as life is catching up and I just, I don't have the time to train properly anymore. And that's part of the reason why I need to quit too, because if I can't put in the hours in the practice, then the risk factor, you know, the piece of the pie, that's a risk factor grows. And I don't, I don't need that. That's why I was happy to, to hang it up. Uh, Brett's in the slalom skiing. I I can take the dad coaching hat off here and there, but his favorite slalom skier has been John Travers and Freddie Winter. So I've already taken Brett to John and Freddie for coaching. I'm like, because he'll listen to them way more than me. Louisa's, we have her in gymnastics, dance, t-ball, and skiing. So she is a an athlete already and she's got her mom's competitive spirit. Like their second place is a horrible place to her. <laughs> she <laughs> has to win. It's crazy. And Maxwell's turning, he'll be three pretty soon. And he's skiing a bunch. And of course, he's trying to play T ball and he's chasing his older brother and sister around. So we're gonna have a full, full ski season. So for That's me to take awesome. the back, yeah. So for me to take the back seat, I'm completely happy with it. And now I at least I can go to local tournaments, you know, go to Fluid and go to Jacks and ski with Brett and the kids at the same tournament, rather than me being gone at a pro tournament and them trying to ski a local tournament. So it's good.
0: Yeah, I, and we even in t-ball, two summer sports. You're going to be super busy.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Brett's and Brett's uh, made this high school baseball team, or his junior high, or middle school. I don't know what they call it now. He made the baseball team. Uh, he likes to play tons of golf and he's doing flag football too. So we're, I mean, every day of the week, we're busy. Wow. Certainly a, a
0: very athletic family, no doubt about it. Yeah. When you when you take a look at your next stages in life and pushing the sport, like you said, you're on the rules committee. You're trying to continue to tinker, um, whether that's in equipment and technique, pure innovation. I mean, where do you see? We're, we're 2022 right now. Ryan Dodd's out there with the jump record of, 254. Yeah. I think Ryan for sure believes 260. No doubt about it. He wants it, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, how far can we push this sport at at six foot with a 75 foot line?
1: I tell you, who else wants to do it too? Is Fred? He might not show it, but we I, I ski with him every once in a while, and he is waiting for all the stars to line up. And I think he's got another big one and He's trying. Wow. Um, and and how old is Freddie now? He's I think 46. 46 he's a few years behind me 46 47 so he's he's phenomenal i mean to watch him training and stuff he's kind of like andy like his, his training is like a tournament their intensity is the same there is no i don't know it's like he's going to win practice like they're intense well so that's that's a good jumper
0: question right there because you know i announced these events and some some Folks have different styles. You can tell in which they approach. You get three chances at the ramp. And I was talking to Ryan, and I wonder what your take is on this, especially in competition. I said, you know, Ryan, do you have your, like, 215 cut, your 220, your 230 cut? And he's pretty much like, no, I got my cut.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Did you have that same philosophy? Uh, not, not really, because in bad conditions, you can't take that cut. You're either going to have to pass, you're going to crush, or you're going to crash You know, if you take that cut. I'm pretty sure Freddie and I are kind of the same. I guarantee you we could start at 100 feet and go all the way to 220 feet and do do it by 10 feet. I could go 100 feet and go 110, 120, 130, 140, 150. Because we've been to tournaments where to win, I need a 180 cut. So we know how to back that off. Where a lot of jumpers don't, it's like a light switch. They're like... I can't do a three quarter. I can't do a small double. I either cut or I don't. And well, okay, well, you're not going to win. So, we're, <laughs> but Freddie and I, we can we can adjust to whatever we need on that day at that moment to win that tournament, and that's the bottom line. Wow,
0: wow! And, and, and was that anything that you practiced, or is that just just experience? Like, did you go practice? Just, hey, I'm going to do a 200 right now, and then I'll crank yeah, it up no, to a 220. I'll, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't jumped since I think the, the Worlds or the weekend after the Worlds. And if I had to, I could go out and go 200. I might not be able to go 220 or 230, but I know exactly my cut and what I got to do to go 200 feet or 180 or 190. And that, that's how Freddie and I, that's how we warm up. We start with a single, get the juices going again. Then I might do like a three quarter and do an 85, 190 cut. I'm like, okay, I got it. And then we'll get in it wow i just don't jump off the dock on a wednesday afternoon with without the tournament adrenaline and go for it so that
0: yeah this is an interesting question because i think a lot of times as a spectator we've seen you guys compete um and there's the what does that look like during a training week it sounds like no, no rivalry really there to go train with Freddie or Ryan or anyone else. Was there spots along your career where there was like, no, I'm not going to show you any of my secrets that I'm doing, or was everybody pretty inviting? How has that evolved
1: over time? I think the jumpers are really good. We, we kind of, I, for, for me to be successful, I've always surrounded myself with other good jumpers. There's hardly a time where I'm just, just me and Mary, we're just alone unless we're building up to a major tournament and we do want to kind of keep our skill private. But 95% of the time, I've gone down the Ryans, I jump with Ryan, I go to Fred, I jump with Fred, he'll come over to my place, he'll come jump here. I go to uh Taylor Garcia's and Adam Sadamires over there. We all jump together and we kind of feed off each other and keep our push our limits because it's very easy to get relaxed and fall back into a 205-210 very comfortable uh junk, when you should be going 2025 20, in practice because that's what it calls for on the weekend so it just kind well, of depends. that's
0: an interesting comment there Scott because you know to go to 25 is certainly uh, a, a much more dramatic approach yes. than a 205 and and to yeah. to get pumped up for practice to go do that that's what has always amazed me about you guys is like the willingness especially after a crash to like build yourself back up to be in tournament shape before the tournament to take those cracks at the ramp. I I just don't know how you guys do
1: it, but you do it. Yeah. You got, you got to, you got to learn how to build There's a cycle that the way I coach Taylor is to, to peak on the weekend. So you're going up and down, up and down. You cannot stay on a 230 level for six months. It's impossible. So you got to go down to build, to build back up. And for me to teach him that I'd always have, like a little tournament at the end of the week. And we'd have certain jumps. I'm like, okay, today you got to have two jumps over 205, ah, piece of cake. I can do that. I'm like, okay, uh, the three jumps, two of them going to be 205 or more and he'll go out and won't do it. And then I'll have it like a, he'll, he'll have to go like wash his dad's car or wash the boat and have kind of like a thing at the end, or if he does do it, then we move on to the next day. All right. Today is 215, two jumps or more. And then we build up to a tournament. And then you're always increasing and always have a little bit of pressure on you. And what, what, to, was it, what was it like
0: to Scott, when you're building up to a tournament, but that tournament's going to be night jump.
1: How do you prepare for that? Just make sure you go into it jumping good. And then you will adapt. But if you go to a tournament, even if it's great conditions and you're not jumping that good and you have a little bit of a self doubt, you're going to, you're going to struggle. You might pop one off and get lucky, but you're going to struggle. So go into, go into that, like Moomba, is a weird setup. You never get wide. It's basically a three-quarter cut. It's super shallow where you turn, kind of like the Malibu Open. So you glide different. And then by the time you go to the ramp, it gets really deep, so it feels slower. There's a current. There's all kinds of shit going on. But if you go into the tournament jumping really well, it's easier to adapt. But if you go into the tournament questioning yourself for not jumping that good, you're going to have a horrible weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and I guess as, you know, as, we, as we start to wrap up, one of the questions that um, I think a lot of the listeners would, would love to hear, where is your favorite spot to jump
1: and what is your favorite tournament? Oh, wow. It's almost the same place. There's, there's a few of my favorite jump sites. Uh, there's Jack's, uh, Lake Hancock, Garcia, where Freddie went 250, Ryan Dodd has a great lake. When the wind comes down, it curls kind of Southwest. It's one of those headwinds where you feel it all the way until you touch the water. Um, tournaments are, is Moomba. I mean, I don't know if you can see in the background, but I mean, Moomba, they have, it's like two or three football stadiums. That many people just lined up 20 rows deep and they're screaming. And they've been holding that tournament the same weekend every year since the eighties. And when you get a big jump, you can hear the crowd before you touch the water. And it is electrifying. It's incredible. So you've
0: got your massive crowd. You've got y- your ability to lean on your show ski background because you're oh. on the river.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. And, and uh, I guess at Moomba, and for those that wouldn't know, Moomba, for a jumper, is a little bit tricky. I mean, do you even really have a 600 foot buoy there? How does that happen on the other end?
1: Yeah, it's just up on shore and you can't get wide. Most of the times we try and paint the rocks because at nighttime you hit, people hit the rocks and screw their fins up. So you got to watch the rocks. And then as you're cutting the boats turning in with you, so you don't get the snap up. Um, it's super narrow and there's nets along the shoreline. So if you pop the handle or do something crazy, you're going to end up in that net. If you balk too late going to the ramp and you pass and, and stumble, you're in that net. So it's super narrow. Um, it's normally kind of, it's always kind of a headwind, but it's gusty. Um, the current could do all kinds of strange things. If it rains too much, it's the current's screaming. If it doesn't rain, there's a lot of salt water in it. So it hurts your eyes, messes with your binders. It's tricky. It's a hard place to jump, but when you get all the pieces of that puzzle lined up, you go big, And then the crowd lets you have it. It's it's awesome.
0: (laughs) Well, excellent. Well, Scott, I mean, this has been an awesome interview. I think we're going to probably have to sit down two or three times in the upcoming years because there's so so much more ground that we didn't cover today. Oh, man, there's tons. But one thing I want to do is give you the opportunity. I mean, you're still out there. I mean, obviously, super active in the sport. Can you give people a handoff where they can find you and what you're going to be doing?
1: Yeah, I'm here in Central Florida. Um I think on skifly.com, I think you can contact me through there. that's where I sell jump wax and a bunch of jump gear through that. Uh my wife and I run Edge hard shell binders. So through edgewaterski.com you can reach us that way or if you need a hard shell for slalom, you can reach us that way. Um or if you see me at a tournament just come say hey, what's up? I need a, got a jump question, whatever. I'm here. I answer questions all the time. Text, phone calls, emails, So jumping is fun and easy. Don't be scared because you're flying through the air. It can be easy. Well,
0: Scott, the rocket man, Ellis, um, you know, I know we're going to see you back out
1: there. And I'm actually really excited to see what's going to happen on a five and a half foot ramp. Yeah, me too. I'm going to go jump with some guys my own age. So they might not like it, but I'm going to be there. All righty. Thanks, Scott. All right.
0: Thanks for listening and come back to catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars of each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate the 100th anniversary of water skiing. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central
1: Florida. We'll see you next time.